From Relay FM, this is the Pen Addict episode 361, and today's show is brought to you by Eero. My name is Mike Hurley, and I have the pleasure, as always, of being joined by the Pen Addict himself, Mr. Brad Dowdy. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I am fine and dandy, Brad Dowdy. Fine and dandy indeed. Yeah, I am fine and dandy as well because, Mike, we're doing something very different in this episode because it's not just this episode. I'll no longer be able to refer to it as that. This will be our first ever doubleheader two-part podcast episode because mm-hmm. we have a very special guest, one Mr. Dan Smith from the Nib Smith. What's up, Dan? Hey, Brad. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You know, Mike, there was uh, a mention last week as we wrapped up our podcast that we'd be, you know, maybe doing something a little different these episodes for these next two weeks because mm-hmm. we're going to be doing a little traveling, got a can't put a show in the can. And we talked about we'd be doing um, some horror stories. And I figured we'd just bring on the horror story himself for <laughs> these two shows and uh, just just go for it. What do you think? I think that's a much, I think that was obviously what we meant at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know, Dan, we had you set up from the get-go. Nice. I wouldn't expect anything less from you guys. Now, this yes, is just exactly. one of those things where once Brad started to put together the prep, because Brad has done a fantastic job of the preparation for this episode, we realized that it, we would actually have to cut too much out to try and fit this into like a regularly sized episode. So as well, mm-hmm. considering... So obviously one of the things that we're going to talk about uh, with Dan over the next two episodes is nib grinding. And that is something that is of great interest to a lot of our listenership for a few reasons. Like, what is it? How does it work? How should I get into it myself? And all that kind of stuff. And then when we started to ask for the Ask TPA questions, we got so many um, that we have decided that we're going to split it in two. So on this episode, we're going to kind of look at Dan's history a bit and talk about the Nibsmith and turning from, you know, nib grinding into selling, like becoming an actual store. And we talk about the Nibsmith all the time on the show. Um, But then in our next episode, we're going to do a real big kind of deep dive on just nib grinding and and answering uh, your questions. Yeah, so Dan, you you good with us uh, breaking out all the skeletons in your closet and figuring out where, how this whole Dan Smith thing came to happen, right? Like, you're good? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I've gotten to know you, I guess, in person over the last few years of pen shows, but we've known each other online going back a little bit. But during those times, like, I don't even know, like, what's... What's Dan's, you know, pen origin story? Has he always been a fountain pen guy? Has he been into stationery before? Or did this come, you know, later in life, you know, as you've kind of, you know, figured things out, you know, with how you use pens and paper. So where did this all start? Just the pen thing in general about your love for fountain pens. Um, well, with pens in general, it's just been for as long as I can remember, um, you know, going to the stores with my parents, my favorite aisle was a stationary aisle. Mm-hmm. Um always looking to see what new pens were out. Um, of course I tried some of the cheap fountain pens and, uh, they never really worked for me, but, uh, yeah, always obsessed with pens. Um, never got much into the stationary side of it as far as paper goes itself. But, um, you know, as I got older and through high school and stuff like that, I didn't kind of waned a little bit. But, uh, once I graduated from college, I remember very specifically, I was walking through an antique store and I saw some old vintage fountain pens. I mean, I didn't know anything about them at the time, but I remembered uh, my grandfather used to use them. He had this huge coffee mug on his desk, and they were full of dip pens and fountain pens. 
And uh, that's kind of what sparked my interest in fountain pens, really. And so after that, I went home and started Googling and found Fountain Pen Network. And I guess it was just all downhill from there. Uphill. Yeah, uphill. Totally uphill. <laughs> How long ago was this? Like when, like, so like all through your school years, like it mattered, like what you wrote with, but you really, you know, it's okay. You know, I want something a little bit different than after school and after college, you're like, I'm going to get in this fountain pen thing. How how long ago was that, do you think? Right. So that would have been real early 2008 is when I okay. really got into it. Yeah. So like a little over a decade ago. And yeah. I, I find it funny, Mike. I, I think you were a little bit this way and I was a little bit this way. We always like stationary, but we had someone in our lives, like someone gave you, you know, one of your family members gave you a Mont Blanc. My grandfather was an artist, so I'm around all this stuff all the time. I, I always find that interesting you know, I someone think, like Dan honestly, having like, that. You could go back through a lot of our interviews and mm-hmm. that is a very, very similar theme. Like both mm-hmm. of those things, one of like, as a kid, I always liked stationary for school or whatever, mm-hmm. but then also that there was somebody in that person's life that was an inspiration to them in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there is a very consistent theme uh, throughout all of this. And I think it kind of makes sense that there's somebody that we look up to who uses yeah. these types of products. Um, and then also that kind of like, and, and maybe even for a lot of us as a family member, that is also the person that would take us to buy the stuff. Well. <laughs> True. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. got really um, lucky because when I, when I was on FPN, I found a guy who was local to me. And so mm-hmm. we met up and he actually, you know, he's been in the hobby for years before that. So he brought all his stuff. He showed me, we had a store um, that actually carried fountain pens, like legit pens. And so I had someone just usher me right in. He got me introduced into vintage and, um, yeah, I sort of got escorted right into the fountain pen world. That's super helpful and super important. We talk about how, you know, you know, our, our friend Thomas Hall, friend, friend of the world, oh, yeah. Thomas Hall, who really took care of me in the beginning, uh, as far as fountain pen goes, just like sending both me and Mike for that matter, just teaching and teaching us and make sure, you know, we understood what things how things worked and why things existed, how they do. And he still does to this day. Uh, Mike and I are in a uh, in an Instagram, uh, a, a years long Instagram private messaging session with Thomas, where he's just like, "Look at this. You should look into this." And he's Thomas is it's the best. Great to have <laughs> the, the it's worst. great to have the yeah. yeah. But it's having these mentors is super important. So you go from that, and you're like starting to figure all this thing out. You're oh, but Thomas has gone next level with me recently, though. Yeah, you and him have a watch problem that I don't. Yeah, like I just ignore those messages now. So it's, it's bad. It's real bad. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. but it's terrible it's bad (laughs) it's bad so dan when did you decide that i want to talk about fountain pens on the internet because that's how i first heard of dan smith at a site called fp geek so i had the pen addict blog and you know you're always you know when you're writing online you're always trying to find more people who do the same type of things online and then fp geeks popped up and that's how I heard about you. So what made you go from just learning about fountain pens, using fountain pens to say, Hey, I'm going to share some things online about fountain pens. Yeah. So I I met all kinds of people on FPN and, um, there was someone there we thought, you know, we could maybe do a forum that was, uh, run a little bit differently, you know, where there was uh, room for improvement. And so FP geeks actually started as another message board. Okay. And shortly after that, um, 
we created a, a blog and we did a lot of giveaways to get people interested in the message board. And so after the giveaways, we kind of didn't really know what to do with the blog. And it sat there for a little while. And one day when I was looking, trying to find out new releases, um, I realized that there was no one website where you could go and see all the new products from all the different brands. I mean, you could always go to a retailer's website, but you're only going to find out about the new stuff they carry. And so that's really where the idea for, you know, the, the core of FB Geeks came from is we wanted to share all new products from all new brands. Mm -hmm. And after that, it just snowballed into um, reviews and uh, podcasts and videos and um, pen shows. And yeah, it, it just went from there. What did you think about that at the time that you could take this most analog of writing instrument and have this wide ranging discussion online, not just in words on a message board, but you know, you could share news and information and could, you know, create podcasts or videos of the things you were doing. Like how into all of that type of creation were you at the time? Um, well, when it first started very little, I mean, it was mm -hmm. just step by step. Um, it was really just sharing, Hey, this is new, check this out. And the feedback we got was incredible. We were like, holy cow, mm -hmm. people actually love this. And so then it was, um, you know, people had questions about certain pens that we used and we're like, okay, well, let's start doing reviews. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed getting into that analytical side of the pen itself, you know, how it writes, how it's made, um, how it feels. And then the whole video process and uh, editing um, that was new. And I, I just loved every step of it along the way and, and always continued to get really good feedback. Yeah. I, Oh, you said it earlier when you were describing what FP geeks was. I always told people like for new release and new information, like that's where you wanted to go because I, that's not something that I ever, ever covered. Like, you know, the new products, like every company's new products, y'all were always like pumping out like all the releases. Like you could just go to FP geeks and like find all the new, new information out there. Um, which I always thought was, was cool and like a very good resource for that type of thing. What was your, what was your favorite thing about that FP about that FP geeks era? Because that's like the, the blog doesn't exist anymore, but the message board lives on. But like, what, what did you enjoy the most about that time, you know, working with FP geeks and, you know, having that site become so popular? Oh, wow. Um, really just the community that, that built up around it. Um, not only just online, but in person, because we did a number of shows where we would go and, you know, report from the show and try and bring that show experience online. Right. I forgot about people, that. Yeah. To let people know that, Hey, that, you know, there's, this is actually happening in the world world. You need to get to one of these things. <laughs> um, because you know, who would have guessed, right. You know, even yeah. today I tell people I'm going to a pen show and they're like, a what? Yeah. <laughs> so no, it was great. Um, and, I, and I've met so many people through that and built so many relationships that that was really the, the best part out of all of that. Yeah, how long did FP Geeks last, if you can recall? Oh, wow. Um, Three or four years? Something like that. I um, mean, like I said, the message board still lives on, but the blog. Right. It was probably close to four years. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. And that's your 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 last statement in the part I forgot about how you'd visit pin shows and like do like this on site report thing, uh, like this these this news guy from the from the pin show. <laughs> I totally forgot about that, but that's perfect. Like, what was your first pin show? Like, how did you go? 
how did you decide oh. to attend your first pin show and see what that's all about? So I know it was Chicago, but I can't remember if it was 2011 or 2012. Um, and we just went just to go check this out to see what a pin show was. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then after that, I mean, I think the next year we, we hit three or four and the year after that we you know we did the same i mean we were addicted really (laughs) what do you recall what you thought about that first pin show because i remember my first pin show i think it was atlanta it was either 2011 or 2012 it was definitely atlanta but i remember just the difference between year one and year two where year one was like such a blur my first ever pin show is like yeah it happened and i was there but it was just so overwhelming and I couldn't figure it out until like year two. It was like, okay, I've got the flow now. Do you remember what it was like that first time? I, I remember thinking this is insane. <laughs> um, you know, we com- completely overwhelmed. Um, yeah. And it, and it was just a blur. I mean, there were so many pens. You just, you couldn't spend enough time and, and right. look at all of them. Right. So back back around that time frame when FP Geeks is rolling and you're starting to go to pen shows, what does your pen collection look like? What is Dan, you know, seven or eight years ago looking for in a pen? What type of things were you into um, at that time? Oh, it, it was mostly vintage. It was mostly vintage for a long time, actually. Um, lots of Schaefer balances, Parker 51s, Vacumatics, dual folds, um, Skylines. Um, and that's really what I was hunting at those first few pin shows. Um, of course, I, I did have lots of modern stuff. And I think at that Chicago show, um, I made my first purchase from uh, Bryant Greer at Chatterley. It, it was nice. a, it was a Delta in that turquoise celluloid. And it was mm-hmm. the, the most I had ever spent on a pen. And I was like, what am I doing? This is crazy. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I, I loved it. It was great. Um, and then slowly over the years, that's transitioned into more of a, a modern collection. Were you intimidated by the vintage buying back in the beginning? Cause we get that a lot. It's like, how do I buy my first, first vintage pen? And you seem to not be too concerned with that in the beginning. You know, am I getting a good quality? Is this been restored? Is it going to work? Am I going to have to fix it up? What did, was there anything you had like in your arsenal back then that made you feel comfortable buying vintage pens kind of right out the gate yeah so my, my buddy who helped me kind of get into the fountain pens he was big into vintage too and i guess um i you know it, it just kind of came natural and when i was really um getting into it and learning i was just buying vintage pens off ebay by the handful mm-hmm. um and i knew they wouldn't work but that was part of why i was buying them i wanted to figure out how to restore them you know, I found a few guides online about how to fix them up. Um, and so I would just buy them, fix them up, flip them and buy more. And, and so I was really comfortable with vintage. I didn't have a problem with them at all. Yeah. So I think as I was putting together these show notes, I was trying to decide when we first met because we knew known each other online for a little bit. Um, even though we didn't talk that much, like we weren't talking all the time. And then I want to say it was 2016 in DC was the first time we met, which I put in the show notes, a little episode that happened during that uh, event that's (laughs) that, that sealed our bond forever. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and we've told these stories before and Dan and I will be happy to, to tell you any stories from that particular, uh, pin show, but we don't need to discuss that today. But (laughs) I think at the time you were, you had, 
I don't know if you were working for Kenro Industries or you were just like doing stuff at shows for them. So how did that transition come? Like it's it's come quick, right? It's like you were discovering fountain pens and then okay, you made a message board and then a blog and then you started to go to pen shows and now, you know, maybe you can pick up some gigs from like, you know, fountain pen people in the industry. What what was that like? Is that something is that how that kind of transition worked? A little bit, yeah. Um, Kinro, they've we've always had a really good relationship. They were they worked with us on the blog, you know, from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, they've they've always been very helpful in getting products into us and stuff. And um, so there was kind of an area, a period of time after FP Geeks, and I was kind of in between jobs, and they helped me out. Um, and so I was there. Uh, like like social media and content creator for a while, right, and, right, and so then I was helping them at the show that year, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's how that came about um, at the DC show. Okay, what was that your first DC DC pin show? Do you recall, or had you gone there for Ooh. FP Geeks before then? Um, yeah, I've been there for FP Geeks, and I, I want to say that might have been my second DC okay. show. Yeah, that's always a trip. Um, Mike did not get to experience the previous hotel for oh. the DC pin show, but it was just as much of a cluster as it is now, but it's just <laughs> so, it's so big and overwhelming. It's like, I don't know. I, I get scared of, of telling people you should go to the DC pin show because it's a lot to take in. It is. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this seems like the point to where you're kind of in, right? Your fountain pens is your thing. And there's a little bit of a transition from, okay, I'm going to create these things online and, you know, do social media work to start to think about doing your own thing. So I want to get into that. But first, Mike, let's hear about our wonderful sponsor, our good friends at Eero. This episode is brought to you by Eero. With Eero, you can build a Wi-Fi system that is tailored to your home. We live in a high bandwidth world right now. Everyone in your home wants to be able to access streaming services and they want to be able to post on Instagram and they want to be able to listen to music. You need a distributed system in your home to make sure that everybody has the best speeds available to them. And with Eero, you can get an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your own home that can be set up in just a few minutes. You want to start with the second-gen Eero device. It has three 5 gigahertz radios, which allows for increased speed and range. It sits flat on any surface and connects either over Ethernet or wirelessly. Then you can easily expand the coverage throughout your home with by adding in some Eero beacons as well. There are small devices that plug directly into your wall. They allow you to reach every corner of your home and they even f- uh, feature little night lights built into them so you can like put them in the hallway and they add like, an extra purpose, which is awesome. Eero also has the Eero Plus now as well. This is designed to provide simple, reliable security to help defend all of the devices in your home from malware, phishing, and unsuitable content. Eero Plus can automatically tag sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, so you have powerful parental controls right there. It has ad blocking functionality to help you improve load times for websites full of ad tracking, and it's even possible to have Eero Plus check the sites that you visit against a database of millions of unknown threats as well. Now, Brad, I know that you have an Eero device at home. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what your experience has been so far? Boy, do I want to tell you about it, Mike, because I don't know if you know, but it is now officially summertime in my household, Mm -hmm. which means my kids are out of school, which means they're destroying my internet connection at all hours of the day and night. And you know what Eero does, Mike? 
the era lets me block them from the internet when ah, I don't want them yes. to be on the internet. <laughs> All through the app on my phone. Um, it, you can make these little profiles and you can assign them to specific devices. Um, in my case, specifically my daughter's iPhone mm-hmm. um, that gets its own profile. Um, so let's just say there's uh, lots of conversation ab- about uh, my fine and wonderful Eero device in, in our house because it works very well <laughs> in limiting what content um, and what time of day you want to your uh, children to access said content. That's actually really useful. Uh, <laughs> it's massively useful. <laughs> Never think about Wi-Fi again. You can get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and a year of Eero Plus just by going to Eero.com slash pen. That's E-E-R-O dot com slash P-E-N and using the uh, promo code pen at checkout. That is Eero.com slash pen and the and the promo code PEN to get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package. Our thanks to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Dan. So you've gone from, you know, this these few years of kind of figuring things out in the background and you're you're all in on this fountain pen business. How did you decide to become part of the business? How did you decide to, you know, either, you know, work on nibs, repair pens, becoming a retailer and how did this transition happen from say around that time frame 2016 2017 um what gave you the 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 jump start to want to do this well so for a long time i was just doing uh nib grinds and and restoration work by word of mouth um and so after going to these shows and figuring out hey i might actually be able to do this the whole idea was just to do something to get me to be able to go to more pen shows. And so <laughs> is it that <laughs> funny so, how we try so hard to do that? Yeah. So, so doing nib work seemed like the perfect excuse. I mean, heck if I could break even and still get to a pen show, I was happy with that. Um, but it turns out it's, it's been a lot better than that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you, you started the nib Smith. When did you start that? And importantly, how did you come up with the name? So it was, I, I think, in later either late 2016 or early 2017 and um i was talking to a a mutual buddy of ours uh, mike dudek and he actually came up with the name and uh (laughs) i was like dude that's golden i hate how creative dudek is it's so frustrating (laughs) oh i know it right (laughs) it is yeah it's like it's it's a perfect name but because it's just right there in front of you it's like oh my god how did i not see this right right exactly yeah but uh, and so dude, good then I, I worked with uh, um, Matthew Morse to come up with the logo and everything. And it was great to be able to to work with guys in the community who are who are so close to all this. Um, that just like kind of makes it even more special, you know, totally agree with that. So let's get into the the nib grinding and, and repairing. And, you know, as Mike and I tease in the beginning of the show, this the show is actually going to be the ultimate tease because we're really really going to get into the nuts and bolts of the nib grinding in part two of this episode. But for this conversation, what made you want to get into offering nib grinds and how did you learn? Um, well, when I first got started, um, my, my buddy who was local, he was kind of introducing me to, you know, what stubs and italics were and all this. And I was like, I can do that. Mm. And so I just went and grabbed some of my old cheap pens that I bought on eBay and, and started grinding. And um, 
went through a lot of nibs, but <laughs> eventually, you know, I mean, I got it. I figured it out. He tried them and he's like, dude, this is really good. Like you, you should be doing this for other people. You should be charging for this. And I was kind of, you know, whatever, if you say so. And so he, he told his buddies and I just kind of spread word of mouth really. But then after that, it's just, um, I don't know. I guess I just enjoyed the process. It was, mm -hmm. uh, almost meditative like for me really it's just i could kind of um just sit down and grind and kind of you know let my mind wander i don't, I don't know how else to explain it really just yeah i always enjoyed it that makes sense because i i've seen you work over these past few years and i can see the little zone you get in and if i have enough nerve to ask you something while you're doing something you're like huh you're like I, you're like you don't know what's going on. You shut it all down, which I want to talk about that. That later, actually doing a nib grind in front of someone um, because that would freak me out. Not just you know taking someone else's property and essentially destroying it in front yeah. of them. Um, you know. <laughs> so what what was the um, what was the waste rate like <laughs> in the beginning? What was the what was the ratio of good versus bad, and how quickly did that turn around? Because that's super intimidating to even if it's like you bought like a hundred of you know fifty cent Chinese pens, it's still like what am I doing here? Yeah, no, it it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Um, I don't know. I probably got two or three good ones out of every ten. I'd say. Right, um, right. You know, really early on, but um, you know, once once I got it figured out, it was um, it turned around fairly quickly. Um, so so it wasn't that painful. Yeah, yeah. So what it, would you say? There's a almost like a math or science to it. Like once you get it down, you know, kind of exactly the the path you want to take in getting to the end result, or is it more of an, like an art? Like, is it, you know, more of a feel and just kind of uh, the art of it? Um, you know, there, there's definitely a feel to the tools that you're using, but really um, it, it is just kind of math. Really. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, each grind has its basic shape. And once you learn what that shape is and how to grind it on that little tiny tipping, it's, it's fairly easily repeatable. What was your first pen show where you set up a table to be the nibsmith? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that was 2016, um, in Chicago, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so what 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 was that like just getting ready to sit behind your first table at a pin show do you recall like how different that feeling is than it was attending the most nerve-wracking thing i've probably ever done <laughs> um you know because it's one thing to grind nibs in, in private with no one watching you but when you've got the mm -hmm. owner sitting you know literally 12 inches away from you and you know if, i mean if you make a slip you know Right. It's just, yeah, it, it was really nerve wracking, um, <laughs> but, but it was very exciting. And, and it was even more rewarding when you handed the pen to them and, and they just got this big old smile on their face. I mean, right. that, that's the best part. I think um, I might have been at that show, which I, I wouldn't have realized it was your first show. But I, I do remember and I think, you know, what I want to talk about next is the transition from that singular table with your nib grinding equipment right and 
did you even have like did you have like one or two trays of pins at that time or or none where you just I don't doing think I work? did yeah no I think it was probably not until later that year or early the next year when I really started bringing pins and even in the beginning it was it was literally like two trays of pins I'd go over and see yeah. like you know like um all the like Aurora stuff right they'd be like two trays of uh of a bunch of a bunch of pins so what made you want to add in that type of business to your already you know your nib grinding business what what was the thought process beside behind let's go into more well retail? i think it was at that point where i was like i really enjoy doing this i i want to you know build it i want to see if i can actually you know do this full time at some point mm-hmm. um you know or at least a, a solid you know side gig where i can go to more shows and, and just just keep doing this keep having fun and kind of the the key part of that was I, I need to make a little bit more money. I need to, you know, start selling pens. And I had some good connections with Kenro so I could get Aurora. And I think I had Pelican at that point. And those were selling reasonably well. And so after, you know, the next two or three shows, um, I started to invest into more of the retail side. And it just kept picking up. You know, I kept selling more pens. I kept buying more, kept selling more, <laughs> and it just grew to what it is now. Why do you think you sell more pens? I know the answer to this, but I'm um, going to make you say it. <laughs> oh, I'd kind of like to hear your answer. I guess I don't have a good one for it. <laughs> you offer a service that other retailers don't, and I'll catch some flack from that, I'm sure, from my friends <laughs> in the retail business, um, but you do something different. And for someone like myself and for someone like our Panatic listeners, we're still pretty new to this, right? And you can take them through an entire process of purchasing and QC and modifying if they're interested in one spot. What gave you the the idea did that just happen like naturally just like well i'm grinding nibs and okay that's going well and let me pick up a few pens that you know people are coming to the pen show maybe they want to buy some pens oh maybe i can add this service in to take that pen that they just bought and do something that no one else can do and that's what i think the success is in the brand and why we're seeing it like grow like it is but did that come yeah, naturally? I think the, the two go so well hand in hand together. It was it, it would have been foolish of me to not offer that. And mm-hmm. I, I know there is another retailer who offers nib work and grinds. And um, from what I've seen, it's it's always extra. And I you know had a little advantage where I could offer it free. You know, once you get to a certain price point, and um, definitely ninety percent of the pens I sell have nib work on them. So. Right. I, th- I think it's worked really well. How has that changed your workflow? Because this is what, when I, I'm just intimidated to walk by you because that's a lot. Like I see you now and we're going <laughs> to, we'll, we'll expand on this a little bit more, but I see the scope now. And that's also why I wanted to get you on the show because things have changed really quick. I feel, um, for you. And I wanted to talk about more about how like, What's your workflow like for one of these shows now? As far as Nibwork goes, um, 
online, I've I've stopped accepting mail order nib work, but I still do it at shows. You can bring mm-hmm. your pens to me, mm-hmm. and I set up appointments online on my website, so you can sign up. You know, a couple weeks ahead of the show, reserve your spot. You don't have to you know rush to the table first thing in the morning, and um, then I also do if if you buy a pen at the show, I can adjust it or grind it. You know, there on the spot, and. The reason I can, I can do all that now with all the tables and pins that I sell is because of my wife and also Jacqueline, who's been coming to a lot of the shows with me. They they run the tables better than I could imagine. I mean, they, they let mm-hmm. me just focus on the nib work and, and get the nib work done. And the workflow is really steady. Um, it's, it's actually really pretty simple now. Do you have a packing process you go through? Do you have like a checklist? Like bringing now it used to just be you and your nib grinder and a, a case or two of pens now it's all the things like tubs like i uh i filled in for a couple of hours of you uh for you in the arkansas pen show and <laughs> you know me and your wife were like climbing over all the boxes and things that you have to bring like it's a, you bring a lot of stuff like what is that process of just like picking and packing and keeping all that stuff organized to even head to a show for a weekend it's insane. It's, it's basically take everything out of the inventory room and try and put it in the van. <laughs> I mean, really, that's that's what it comes down to. Um, but it's it's so hard to figure out what to bring and then how to pack it um, because you never know what's going to sell well at a show. Um, perfect case in point is the new Leonardo I got. I mm-hmm. I probably sold everything I had in Atlanta and right. then go to Chicago and I think I sold one. Really. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, yeah. You just never know. And it's the same way with, you know, Lamy 2000s or Vanishing Points. I mean, something's really popular somewhere and then dead somewhere else. So it's it's challenging. And that's that's one th- thing that makes it really difficult. What what does it look like, like in the future for you? Because like I see this from the outside, not knowing like how like tough it is on the inside, just scope wise i'm talking about it just from like the size and the growth of what i've seen for, as an outsider do you want to push this further like do you have a day job like that's one thing i don't even know about you do you want to do this full time like do you want to do a dozen pin shows a year instead of i don't know how many you do now maybe five you know what does the plan look like for the nibsmith right now yeah up until now i've been doing roughly six or seven shows a year um, and I did, uh, have a full-time job up until recently and, uh, you guys didn't know I was going to announce this here, but, um, I'm actually really happy to say that I'm now full-time. Oh yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, I just got chills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm excited for you. Good job. So, um, I definitely want to increase the number of shows I'm going to, um, I want to hit all of them at some point, probably not in the same year because I think there's like <laughs> 15 idea. or something. And that's just insane. Bad Terrible idea. idea. Yeah. yeah. I don't care Especially how because you are. They don't happen throughout the year either. There's like a concentrated right. period of time. Like, because you wouldn't be going to like one a month. There would be like some months where you go into like four, which is not a good idea. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, so I'm thinking maybe 10 at most, um, you know, I've, I've definitely got to get to Dallas and Baltimore and, mm-hmm. and Raleigh and, you know, shows like that. Um, but eventually I got to hit all of them. Yeah. Wow. I, that's awesome. I'm super happy. I like, I, you're, you're right. I didn't know that was coming. <laughs> so that is, <laughs> that is super cool. So 
yeah, well, you you blew me out of the water there. I don't I don't even know what to say. Like, um, other than I've seen it coming, right? Like, I as an outsider and someone who follows this, you kind of get a feel for what's happening in the bigger industry. Um, you know, getting to at least some of the pen shows that I do. I can't do everything. I can't know everything. But when you get around a, a little bit, you can start to paint this picture. And there's this guy, Dan Smith, with the backwards hat on over here. And he's got this table. And he does really good work. And then I see Dan, you know, a year from now. And he's got two tables. And there's all these other pins on there. And then a year later, I see Dan... And there's five tables and an online reservation system and employees. I, I'm really I I want to apologize for one of your employees, uh, Jacqueline. I mean, I love her to death, but you can do better than that, Dan. I'm taking suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing you, Jacqueline. I'm just saying that because I know she's listening right now. Jacqueline's the best. She's one of my favorite people on the planet. Oh my she's, god, she's great. She's I, awesome. I definitely couldn't do what I do at shows without her. That that's she, for sure. I, just to give her some props, um, people will come to me. Like if I'm at a pen show, say like Atlanta, where she's working for you and we'll just be carrying a, a general conversation and they'll be like, oh, they were so nice at, at, at the Nibsmith. And like, they wouldn't even be talking about you. They'd be talking about Jacqueline. So she's the best. So <laughs> love you, Jacqueline. <laughs> but I, I'm trying to figure out, I guess, is this scope and going into transitioning to full time. Are you looking to bring in other brands? Are you looking to expand your online presence? Um, you know, what type of things are you going to do now that you've uh, flipped the switch and and gone to this full time? What's going to be different going forward, or is there going to be? Does there need to be anything different? Maybe not. There's going to be a little bit uh, for sure. Um, there are still a few more brands I'd like to pick up, of course. Um, I, it's not my goal to you know carry every brand under the sun. Um, I want to really carry and, and, and sell things that I'm comfortable buying myself, you know, and, and recommending to others. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking you know three or four more brands probably in the next year or so, and then I'll be focusing definitely on increasing my online presence. Um, there are just some things that are, are so time consuming, like photography and social media that it's, it's hard for me to do all that and, and still offer all the nib work. And, and I do want to start accepting mail order nib work again okay. um, at, at some point, but I, I still got lots of things I need to get set up before I can do that. Okay. So right now your nib services are in person, right? At a, if you find me at a pin show, we'll schedule an appointment. We'll do it there. We're not taking, taking in additional work because you offer when someone buys a pen from you not just at a show online you can get a nib grind from you then right right yeah exactly so everything i sell um online is available for nib work i'm just not a, accepting anything mail order nib work yet gotcha gotcha so when you buy a pen from you online does it is it a given that that's an option like how does that setup work is it like an across the board type of thing i actually don't know so tell me about just if i want to buy a pen from you which i've done in the past and i know i've been able to you know get a nib grind done you know as part of my purchase but is that for every purchase or are there limits restrictions how does that work just for a new customer what would you tell them 
Uh, so right now, everything is available with, with a free nib adjustment. So whether it's you okay. know, a smoothing or ink flow adjustment, um, that's included free charge on, on all pens. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain price point, and it's usually about 250 depending on some pens, a little bit higher, anything over that gets free custom grinds. Okay. And anything under that, um, have to pay additional for the service. And it's outlined right there in the drop down menu what the prices are. And if there's no price, then it's obviously free included in the service. So, yeah, I, I didn't want to bring up that drop down menu just because my name is in there now. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to bring that up because my name is in there now. So thank you for that. Like, I thought you were totally joking and it's been in there for weeks now. It's like it hadn't gone away yet. I guess it's going to stay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So that was, uh, I bought a the Ocean the Sailor last year's um, 1911, uh, no, Pro Gear Ocean from you. And I like fine Japanese nibs, and I want them to have some type of line variation, like a stub or a cursive italic. And that's just one of those pens that came out so good, and I rave about it all the time, so people ask me all the time. So you, in your wisdom, um, I'm not sure how wise it really was, put my name on the nib grind. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, I've only got one question about it, so it can't be that bad of a decision. Yeah, yeah, good, good. So, all right, Mike, do you have any businessy questions? Because we have a lot more to get to mm-hmm. on how nib grinding works and why you should do it. And some of the personal stuff for Dan's, we're going to ask him what his favorites are and things like that. But in the ultimate tease, we have a part two of this episode. So anything else we want to cover this time around? There is one thing that I wanted to touch on a little bit for as much as you're able to talk about it, Dan, is that you seem to uh, have really good relationships with some of the larger brands, right? That you carry some some large brands like Sailor and and stuff like that. Um, And I just kind of wonder, like, how much of your time is invested into building and maintaining those relationships, which I think have been in the past at least maybe held for companies that were larger than yours? Um, I'll say not enough. Um, It's not something I'm particularly good at. And Mm -hmm. so I I really have to try to um, put an emphasis on that. But, but there is, um, a significant amount of time that I spend keeping in touch with them, working with them on ideas and uh, feedback and, and things like that. Um, but but really, um, I, I should be spending more time on that. Because because I imagine like I mean you know you're in like a a really interesting position there, right? That you are able to sell some of these products. Like you know we talk about like the, I'm using today the uh, 1911 King of Pen that that I bought from you in Atlanta. And that wasn't available to everybody, right? So, like, I, I know that must be something that, like, must mean a lot for your continued success as well. Right. And that's part of the the feedback that that I give and, um, you know, what kind of customers are, are looking for and how things are moving. And then um, because I, I do look at almost every nib that I send out, I can give, you know, detailed feedback about um, – the, the nibs themselves, how they're writing, how they're performing, how they're coming to me. Um, and it's, I think that's a valuable, you know, part of the process and especially for our relationship as well. Let me piggyback off that real quick. Did that, was your choice to go into the Nibsmith full time almost, was your hand forced essentially like in a positive way, right? Like if you had, you know, a job that you like, but at what point 
is your time being spent? Or are you? There's not 30 hours in the day. At what point do you just like have to rip the bandaid off? Did it get to that point where like I see that I can make something of this and we just got to go for it? Like, were you almost forced into making this decision? Yeah, that, that's exactly what it was. Um, it was there was just so much coming from the Nibsmith side. Um, re- really, performance was starting to suffer at both places. Yeah, yep. And it's like this. It's going to come to a point where things are going to go downhill, you know, at one spot. And so th- this is what I want to do. I had all the support from my wife. And so we just did it. Yeah. Your wife and kids are awesome, by the way. I've seen them <laughs> at you. so many pin shows. I love them to death. And I know you've got a really killer team behind you there. Uh, Jacqueline excluded from that, of course. So <laughs> we'll get you out on that, Mike. Mm-hmm. And we'll tease everybody. You got to stick around for next week, man. This is we're going to get into the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of what makes Dan tick and what makes his nib grind so good and what kind of stuff Dan is into on his own. So thanks so much, Dan. Thanks for dropping the news on us, too. Wow. That was that was pretty cool. Did not expect that with you guys first. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic, Mike. We are breaking news and we're breaking all grounds in, in podcasting industry, right? We sure are. If you want to find uh, show notes information for this episode, you can go to relay.fm slash penaddict slash 361. Uh, thanks again to Eero for their support of this show. You can go to penaddict.com for Brad's stuff. Uh, Brad is at Dowdyism on Twitter, and he is uh, penaddict on Instagram. For Dan, you can go to nibsmith.com, and he's the nibsmith on Instagram and on Twitter as well. Uh, you can find me on iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks to Eero for their support of this week's episode. And uh, we'll all be back again next week. So until then, say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys.